Amen. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and I hope that you will all make plans to be a part of all of that. So we are going to continue in the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're going to continue, and if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 6. Uh, you can follow along on the screen, or you can open up the app and follow along inside of there. There is in media, there is a uh, sermon notes, and you can click on that and follow along with the scriptures and some fill in the blanks for you. We are continuing to look at this Sermon on the Mount. And, and again, as I said before, to read through Luke's Sermon on the Mount, it takes about two minutes to read through that. We all know that Jesus would have preached a whole lot longer than just two minutes. So Luke, I believe what Luke is giving us are cliff notes to the most important sermon ever preached. This is the most important, groundbreaking thing that we could ever go through. And the reason is this, because God came from heaven. God came to earth in the man Jesus Christ. And here we have, for the first time in the history of this world, God is declaring the kingdom of God to man. He is sharing with us what the kingdom that's to come and the kingdom that he brought here on earth. He's, he's sharing with us what the kingdom of God is all about. And the people that were there at that time were continuing to just be drawn. These people were coming in large crowds. His fame was growing. The multitudes were coming. There was probably, at this point, thousands that had drawn themselves to hear Jesus, to preach and to teach and to be healed and to be delivered. And he's in this area, we don't know exactly where, we, we're, he's in this area by the Sea of Galilee, and the, the, by the Sea of Galilee, especially at that point, it was some really rough terrain. It was a rugged area. To travel through there was difficult. And the Bible tells us that the people came from a spance of, of over 100 miles of spread. And so these people were coming from far and wide, from all over the place, and they'd come to where Jesus was. I'm not even sure how it would have at that point got together. I mean, just the miraculous drawing power of God. He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have GPS. They didn't have any of that stuff. How did they find him? How did they know? And where do they find him? They find him on the side of a mountain. And the people come and the people are gathered all around and they're sitting in the grass, they're sitting on the rocks, they're sitting in this rugged area just coming to hear Jesus preach and to hear him teach. It's amazing. So we've spent the last few weeks going through the first half of this sermon and what I want to do is I want to dive into what is the second half of this sermon and take a look at this. What I want to do right now is I want to read through the entirety of the rest of this sermon and I want you to follow along. I want you to stay with me here. I know that sometimes because I've sat where you're seated, I, I know that sometimes when you go through a lot of scripture at one time it's hard to stay plugged in. I'm going to ask you to really fight to do that, to hear what God is saying in the context of all of this, because the context is very important. But there's so much depth to every single one of these scriptures that we have to dive into them. We have to get some understanding. Otherwise, we end up taking these, these beautiful, wonderful principles that God wants to share with us, and we, we, all we have is a surface of the scratch. We don't understand it all. And there's a lot of these scriptures that we're going to find that we've heard, that we know, that we have them posted on our refrigerator, but we don't know what they mean. 
And we have to understand that. So I want to get us to the context here and the overall of what he said. And then we're going to take the time. I don't know. And I don't really, honestly, I don't care how long it takes us. Amen. I, I just, you know what? I, we're going to talk about a lot of different scriptures today that come out of what it is that Jesus is preaching as he's introducing you and me to the kingdom of God. Come on, how could we ever have a better day than that? Amen? So let's look at this, starting in the second half of the sermon in verse 37. Okay, stay with me. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. So he gives us this, and then he goes into telling us a parable. And in verse 39, he tells this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Let me ask you, who's your teacher? I'm not asking you who's teaching. I'm asking you, who's your teacher? Because, you know, what, what does a teacher do? A teacher, they give you the way to follow. Who are you following? Who's giving you that way? You know, a teacher shows you, hey, this is the way you figure out this math. This is the way you write a, a paper. This is the way you... Who's your teacher? Again, it's important. Because many of us, you know, in reality... We're following teachers that have taught us the worldly ways and we're following after those things, yet calling Jesus our teacher. And, and he will confront that. Verse 41, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself don't even see the log that's in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by what? It's known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure, or out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasures, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what? You want to know what's in your heart? Listen to yourself. What comes out of your mouth is what's flowing from the abundance of your heart. That's what God says. 
So he's given us this indicator to show us what it is that's truly in our heart. And you can trust it, believe it, don't, but you're not going to change God's word about it. He's given us this as an indicator. And then, and he goes on and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone, say everyone. Everyone Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp, it is a light, it is, Lord, to show us the way. We thank you for it. And I pray, Lord God, that your word right now would minister in the hearts of those who need to receive that, who need to catch what it is, Lord, that you're throwing out to us. And I pray, Lord, that by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we would find understanding in our minds, that you would bring healing in our hearts, and that through this day, Lord, you would help us to take these principles that you've given us of the kingdom of God and let them be applied. Let them be something that would change and transform our heart, and it would be reflected in the things that we say. Help us today, Lord to take your word, to see it rightly divided in our hearts and lives as we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this, he gives us, as I just prayed, a, a series of principles. There's a number of them. You know, these, if you look at in this section, one after another after another, there's these refrigerator verses, these powerful verses, these verses that probably for the most part, most of us are somewhat familiar with most everything I just read. And as I said earlier, the problem is, is that we, because Luke is giving us these cliff notes to something that is so much deeper, we oftentimes just take a superficial view or, or a view that we've been taught from the past or this or that, and we don't dig in deep to what it has to say. And what I want us to do is to receive these principles, and I hope and I pray, I trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, that he's going to use these principles and highlight these principles in your mind to bring this change, this transformation for us. And he's going to through this time, and I just, I'll prophesy this, not that it's so it's prophetic. God is going to bring certain people to your mind as we talk about what we're gonna speak about today. God is going to bring certain things to your mind as we talk about what we're gonna enter into today. And the question then is if that be true, what am I going to do with this? What will I do? He's going he's to do all of that. And you know, God is so good. Even if you've come here today and you're just wanting to find out what this whole thing's all about, you're not, even a, you're not a Christian, you haven't given your heart to Christ yet, praise God, and I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that you, you've come. I'm so blessed to have you here. But even as a non-Christian, God is still going to use this time to speak to your heart. And you as well will probably get some people, some things that will come to mind in all of that. Don't disregard it just saying, well, I'm not a Christian. Realize that Jesus Christ says, Jesus, he is Lord of all. 
And he can use these things even in your life. And I want you to know that what he brings to your heart and what he brings to your mind today is a gift. And it is for you. Because God has something he wants to do for you, not to you. He has something he wants to do for you because he loves you and he wants to draw you to him. So let's use this today. So let's look at these principles. And, I, and again, I absolutely know the Holy Spirit is going to help at least show us how he wants us to apply it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the first principle, and we're going to focus in on this today because this is a huge deal, is verse 37. Forgiven people must forgive. Amen. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, I don't care where you come from or what. I mean, ever, if you are, I mean, you're here in America, you know that verse. All right? This is like the American non-Christian life verse. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, we point our finger, you shall not judge. You're judging me. But you know what's ironic is that people, when they use that verse and they say that to you and they say, thou shalt not judge, what's amazing is they're judging you. That is a statement of judgment. I think that what you just said is wrong and you're doing this and thou shalt not judge. You are judging me. You're judging my judging and that's a party foul. Right? I mean, come on. You're judging my judgment. You're being judgmental of my judgmentalism. And again, that's what happens. Look, church, this is the truth. There is absolutely no way around judging. We all judge in so many things and everything. And again, biblically, there's no way around judging. So what does Jesus mean when Jesus says, judge not? Well, this becomes kind of a sticky mess. So we need to dig in. What is he talking about? And again, I think part of what he's talking about, part of it, I think is he's talking about or talking to that person. I mean, there are many even in the church who live their life as the judge. Come on. The one who's always judging. The one who plays the part of the moral cop. The neat nick. The one that's always there to straighten you out. I always love the, the grammar Nazi. Hey, the, it's just that person who always is criticizing. There's always something to criticize. It's that person who just has that disposition of a critic. Are any of you that way? Come on, I mean, I, I'm not pointing any fingers, but is there people here that are just always finding fault? You are gifted with the ability to find a flaw in everything? That person who can find failure? And listen, if you are looking for something to be wrong, you will find it every time. 
every time we live in this fallen world, we live in this place where there is sin and there is sinfulness and there are sinful people. If you're looking for something that's wrong, you're gonna find it. Every single time. And the, and, the, and the person that's the judge wants to make sure that they're able to stand up and be the first one to say they found it. Yeah. I know it. It's there. I know that person. You know that person. Uh, that person is like, ah, every time you see their name pop up on your phone. Here we go again. Every time you see an email open up, every time you got a text, ah, yeah. oh, here we go again. Come on, you know who I'm talking about. Pastor Mark, I've got a problem with, fill in the blank, whatever you want it to be. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It just, I got a problem with, don't, hey. You know what? I don't get a birthday card. I don't get an attaboy. I don't get a pat on the back. I don't get any sense of encouragement. It's just a criticism, 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 one after another. Anything they have to say comes out, and it's just critical. This person is gifted, and they feel like they're gifted, and they are gifted with, with this supernatural gift of discouragement. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, I believe that what Jesus is saying here in verse 37, is don't be that person. And if you are, this is deep counseling here, if you are, stop it. Just stop it. Don't be like that. Look, the truth is this. This is, this is simple. The, the Bible is filled with laws, Right? It's filled with laws. And what those laws do is they show each and every one of us that therefore we are filled with sin because we can't keep all of those laws. And so each and every one of us, it, we are sinners. We are filled with sin. This world is filled with sin. And even, even in the church as redeemed sinners, if we're going to coexist, there's got to be a couple of things that happen. One, we need to be humble. We need to be careful. We need to be caring. We need to be prayerful. We need to be biblical. We need to be merciful. We need to be gracious. And sometimes we need to be shutty uppy. Because listen, we are, we, we are called to approach people. And if we're not those things, then when we approach people, we'll never be able to, and again, just hear me out, we'll never be able to judge them as Jesus says to do in a non-condemning way. And that's what he's calling us to. You know what I mean? I mean, oh, I judge you did this, and therefore I, you have, there's no hope for you. There is no way out. You are kindling. You're going to burn. There's no place for you to go. And I'm sick of you and I'm through with you. That church is judging and condemning. Because you have just condemned them. You know, the truth is we don't know what God has for people. I don't know what God has for you. 
I don't know how God wants to use me in your life or somebody else. I, I don't know what God has for you. I don't know what God has for the people that are around you. I don't know what God has for the people that are out there. I do know this, though, and this may burst some bubbles. I do know this, that the job of capital J judge is taken. It's Jesus is the capital J judge, and you and I are not. We're, we're not the ones that are to judge. In fact, in John chapter 5 and verse 22, it says that Jesus said, The Father has entrusted all judgment. Say, all judgment. The Father has entrusted all judgment to me, Jesus says. That means he is the capital J judge, not you, not me. He is. In church, let me, I want to share this with you. And the, the statement is going to sound so simple. But I want you to see beyond just the simplicity of the statement to the depth of what God wants us to have here. So as Christians, Christians, we do not decide who gets to go to heaven and who goes to hell. God does. He's the only one. Look, heaven belongs to God. He, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And either he is Lord of all or he is not Lord of all. Amen. And Jesus says he's Lord of all. Therefore, Jesus Christ, heaven belongs to God. And hell was created by and ruled by God. Meaning, God is the one who decides who goes where. He's the one who makes that decision. It's not me. And you all should be so grateful for that. I know. You all should be so grateful that God didn't put me in charge of the lightning bolts. We're not. We, listen, we don't condemn anyone. We don't have the power. We don't have the authority. We don't have the rule. We don't have the delegation to that. We don't, listen, we can't condemn anyone. All we can do is share Jesus with everyone. That is what we're called to do. We are called to share Jesus and we are called to share the truth of God's word with people. That's what God wants us to do. And to be bold enough by the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up and tell somebody, thus saith the Lord. What God says is, hey, listen, you know what? I, I, I got to tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says that he, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and that no man comes to the Father except by Jesus. That, that's what he says here. And so if you're connected to him, then man, you get to be with him. But if you're not connected to him, then you're going to stand before him and he's going to pronounce judgment and he's going to, listen, you're going to be separated from him. And I don't, I'm not the one who decides, please, I don't decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I don't determine any of those things. This is between you and him. But this is what he said. And I think we have the responsibility to share that. To share what God says. Because I, I get asked all the time, Pastor Mark, my uncle died. Are they in heaven or hell? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, again, I, thinking of that, I always want to say I don't, but I'll say it now. That is, I, that is way above my pay grade. <laughs> I'm not... 
I'm not going to even begin to say that I can understand that. That's not my job. I don't know. And you know what? I do believe in heaven. I do believe in hell. And I also believe with all of my heart that it's not my job to decide who goes where. It's not. I am called to this, to tell people about the Jesus Christ who saves. And to let Jesus decide who's in and who's out. That's his job, church. Not mine, it's not yours. And so what he's saying here is don't be that moral, critical, kind of the moral policeman. Don't be the negative, difficult, discouraging disposition that, that honestly people aren't drawn to. That, I mean, how many of you are just can't wait to go be with that person that's critical about everything? No, we don't, we don't those, you know, we, we turn away from that. We, listen, we don't do that. We don't just judge people and then leave them. Judge people and say, hey, you know what? Burn. We, we do that with our mind, ah, you know what? We're going to roast marshmallows over you. <laughs> we, we, and we leave them in the fire. We make this decision and then we, in our minds, condemn them. When the truth is, is that we should judge them. But not only judge them. And I'll share that a little more on that. But, and the truth is this. And I know we hate this. And the truth is that we should. As Christians, we should judge Christians. Oh boy, we like that one. We should be judging Christians, not non-Christians. Look, I want to explain this. Because there's this guy in scripture, you know, he wrote more books anyway than anybody else. His name's Paul. And Paul... Uh, uh, you know, he knew exactly what Jesus taught. He knew what Jesus had brought to this world. He knew the descriptions and things that he had said. And now Paul, you know, if, if you, again, you want to read a crazy story, read through First and Second Corinthians. That is one whacked out church. I mean, that was one crazy church with some really weird stuff going on inside of that church. Probably not a whole lot different than some of the stuff that's going on in the church today. But I don't know, for somehow or some reason, they all knew about it. I mean, the whole church knew about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a story, and it doesn't tell us a whole lot or everything about the story, but in this, there's this guy, and he is, uh, he's having intimate relations with his mom or mother-in-law, one or the other. doesn't really matter. It's both sick. But they're in this place of, of romantic relationship. I thought, man, that is a total mom fail there. Amen? <laughs> this is just a creepy story. And so Paul's made aware of this. Now, there's also, and, and again, this was happening in the church. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a story about how, how people in the church were suing each other and going before unjust judges. They were, they were taking these courts and suing each other and, you know, trying to make money, probably trying to retire, trying to whatever they needed to do. But these people were suing each other. And so Paul confronts both of these situations, but I think we might find it, you know, funny how Paul does confront this. 
Because look at what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verses 12 and 13, he's confronting this whole issue of this young man in the church who's having these relations with his mom or mother-in-law. And, and Paul said this, what business, is, uh, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And then he says, are you not to judge those inside? God judges those outside. And it says, purge the evil person from among you. So he's calling us, church. We are called, as Christians, we should judge each other. But when it comes to non-Christians, we got to stop expecting them to act like Christians. Do you know why unsaved people act the way they do? Because they're unsaved. You want me to repeat that so you can write it down? <laughs> Look, we, we, can't, we can't just go to people that are unsaved and say, well, hey, you know what? Those actions, that's wrong. That's wrong to talk that way. It's wrong to do that. It's wrong to go there. That's wrong. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. You got to do these things and start getting your life together. And, and that's what we do. Listen, the most important thing for them is not that they get their life together. The most important thing for them is to meet Jesus. They need Jesus. They don't need behavior modification. You can train a monkey to go to church and act like better Christians than most of us might. They don't need behavior modification. We got way too much behavior modification in the church and way too little actual salvation and filling of the Holy Spirit. Because listen, behavior modification can't change somebody's heart. It can't change somebody's life. All it can do is change a few behaviors. And when they leave, they go out there and they start cursing at the first person that runs the stop sign. Oh, amen. <laughs> I wonder if that's why God put that weird stop sign right below the church. Oh, listen, people, non-Christians don't need behavior modification. They need to meet someone named Jesus. Because when somebody truly meets Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, then he begins to bring the change in their life. He's the one who brings change to their heart. He's the one who does the work that we never could. And when people come to this place of meeting Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's a beginning of the issues of their life that start to change. Not because of behavior modification, but because of forgiveness. Because of love, because of care, because of support, because of grace, because of mercy that's been shared into their heart. People begin to be changed and transformed, not because they're told to do that, but because the Holy Spirit leads them to do that. And I, I'm watching God do so many of those things in so many of your lives. I am watching God conform the things that come out of the mouths because hearts are being changed. I'm watching God conform the things that some of you do, the places that some of you might go. I'm just watching the Holy Spirit do things and it's not because I'm telling you hey you have to do this it's because the Holy Spirit is leading you and he's calling you and he's giving you the want to change and be transformed when we submit ourselves to, unto God so I, I what, what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying as Christians what we need to do as Christians is we need to do what we tend to do but do it in reverse 
Because as Christians, what we tend to do is we tend to let our brothers and sisters in Christ get away with all kinds of sin. Oh, yeah, they're under grace. And we let, we let our brothers and sisters go unchecked. We let our brothers and sisters not be called out in things and things that they do. But boy, when it sure comes to, we can be the moral police when it comes to complaining about the behaviors of non-Christians, can't we? And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Non-Christians, they don't know Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. Share what God says about Jesus. But Christians, those, listen, Christians who say they're Christians, those of you who belong to Jesus Christ, there is a higher expectation that is asked of you. If you say that you believe in the God of the Bible, if you say that you hold those standards in your life and that your desire is to live by the standards of Scripture, then we should be holding each other accountable to that. That we should be calling each other out in that, talking to each other, holding them. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, then I should have the freedom to judge you. That got like a really half-hearted amen right there. Look, there is a point where we are called to judge each other. The problem is, is that in our human nature, most of our judging then comes with sentencing, which is condemning. We condemn them to the inner sanctuary, to the place of darkness and gnashing of teeth. Look, we need to, as Christians, we need to be willing to judge each other. And as Christians... We should be willing to be judged. Because I want to be, I want, I want my life to line up. But listen, we should be judging each other, but not condemning each other. Not judging, but not doing it in a condemning way, doing it in a discerning way, not in a desire to destroy somebody and to make them hateful towards you, but to help them and to forgive them and to love them and to care for them and just to come into their life because you want to help them. I know you're stuck in this place and I know that you want out of this place and I'm here to give you a hand up. I want to help you out. You need to come out of this because it is a train wreck that's waiting to happen and I want to help you bring this out. I want to be a part of the change that the Holy Spirit wants to use in your life to bring you out of that place. Can I help you? Being willing to go to that place. And then Paul confronts those in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says this. Listen to what he says in verses 2 and 3 about this whole place where, where believers were suing each other. He says, do you not know that the saints, and again, this is the church, these are Christians, he's talking about the the born again. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? What's a trivial case in God's eyes? Well, I mean, again, I think in God's eyes, and I understand what you're saying, I think everything is trivial in God's eyes. Other than salvation, I think God's like, no big deal, I got this. Come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're heavy laden. Come to me. 
We can do this. But we often feel incompetent. Oh, I can't say that because I've got this going on in my life. Are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? Those are some strong scriptures. And I think what he's saying is, dear, hey, hey, Christians, listen, you who rise from death, you're going to sit with Jesus. You're going to be involved in the judgment of the world in the end of times, and you're going to assist in the judgment of angels. Therefore, feel free to take it upon yourself to bring some judgment here and hold each other accountable to my word. Hold each other accountable in love. Hold each other accountable in community. Hold each other accountable in life group. Hold each other accountable in a way that's to bring restoration and reformation onto their heart and soul. I know this is an issue. I know this is difficult. I know that this is a concern. And I'm here to help you because it needs to change. But man, we have a hard time doing that, don't we? I don't want to offend anybody. According to God, that means you're not willing to love everybody. Listen, Christians, we should judge Christians. He calls us to that. And and Christians... You should, we should be introducing non-Christians to Jesus. This, is this thing on? Come on, that's what we should. It, what it means is, listen, you should judge and not condemn. You should judge and then forgive. Should be forgiveness that flows. Jesus, say, Jesus says, thou shalt not judge or judge not. You say, and, and then he says, and condemn not. Don't, don't judge and condemn. He's saying, con- judge and forgive. Let there be forgiveness that flows. Forgive, because church, and again, he, he talks about this, because it's hypocritical for us to go to God and say, Lord, I, I know I've, I've sinned against you, and I know I have fallen short, and I know you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins, and you gave, he gave his blood to, for the forgiveness of my sins and the redemption of my soul. And so, Lord God, I come to you to find the security of my salvation, and I come to find the forgiveness that you and only you can bring. I come asking, Lord, that you would forgive me, and fully expecting that. But then we refuse to forgive somebody else in our life. Church, that is what he calls hypocritical. Yes, it is. That is getting forgiveness, but refusing to give forgiveness. And if you are at truly getting forgiveness, giving forgiveness should be continuing to come in increasing measure. Why? Because you're getting forgiveness. And I think that for a lot of people in other churches... One of the reasons that many people struggle with giving forgiveness is because they really struggle with getting forgiveness. Truly in our heart, knowing and having the receptiveness to receive the kind of forgiveness that God provides, the wholeness and the cleansing that he brings. Because when he brings those things into our heart, there's this place where he wants it to flow from our heart. And when we receive forgiveness, God wants to let us give forgiveness. 
But I know that some would say, well, but I'm not supposed to judge. It says judge not. Well, to forgive somebody means that I need to judge them. Because that's saying that I have to then determine, I have to make this decision that what they did or or what they failed to do or what they said or what they failed to say was sin. I had to make that judgment about that thing that they did or not did. And that's true. We all, but listen, church, there's not a one of us in this place that doesn't believe in judgment. Not, not the kind of judgment where it puts me on the throne and I'm the one who, who condemns and I'm the one who sends people to hell and I'm the, one, I'm the one who, you know, again, and again, God doesn't send people to hell. Hell was never made for people. He made a way for you and I to get out of hell. But, We have to make a judgment about that, not about the condemnation of somebody's eternity. But I believe we all believe in the kind of judgment that says, hey, that's right and that's wrong. That's sin, that's not. That's acceptable, that's not acceptable. And I think we all do. Listen, how would you feel if somebody was breaking into your house they pulled out a gun. There was an armed robbery. They were in your house. You're in the back bedroom going, calling 911 and saying, hey, there's a guy with a gun in my house. I need somebody to come right away. And the 911 operator said, oh, you must not have read Luke 6. Because... For us to send somebody out would be making a judgment call and I would have to make a judgment call as to whether to send somebody. How many of us would say, oh, you're right. No, we would say, listen, get somebody out here. Get them out here with the dogs. Get them out here with the guns. Get them out here with some help. Get out here and get this guy because this guy needs to be gotten. He needs to be arrested. He needs to be taken. He needs to be taken in front of a judge and be judged. We all, we all are in that place. How do we get rid of judging? Look, do you know what teach, teachers do? They judge your work. Hey, it's either right or it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's either a D or a C or a B. And they make it by certain parameters that they have, but still, they make a judgment. Listen, we can't get rid of teachers. We can't get rid of coaches who judge whether you've done this properly or whether you didn't do this properly. You can't, you can't get rid of umpires. You can't get, get rid of referees. You, you can't, can't get rid of cops. You can't get rid of what judges. <laughs> I mean, you can't get rid of the court system because if you do, we have anarchy. There's no rule of law when there's no nothing when when we get rid of that. You can't get rid of that. But you know what you can get rid of? You can get rid of self-righteous, arrogant religion that condemns people unnecessarily and leaves them after that place of judgment with no hope, no love, no care, and no concern. And what we can do is replace that. And we can replace it with the desire amongst God's people to hold one another to a higher standard. It's called the Bible. And we can do that in love. 
We can do that without condemning. We can do that in a sense of forgiveness. Like, hey, you know what? That thing, that, that's wrong. What are you doing? This is what the scripture says, and that's unbiblical, and it's sinful. What's going on? And I love you, and I'm here because I care about you, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about any of this stuff. But I want to help you. And then forgive them. Boy, wouldn't the church be different in the way in which we confessed our sins one to another, as we're called to do, if we actually approached things this way? Look, when, when Jesus is condemned, what he's condemning is moving from judging to condemning. Jesus is condemning, condemning. Yeah. What he's talking about, what he's encouraging us to do is to move from judging to forgiving. Amen. To forgiving. So let me ask you, and I want you to discuss this in your life groups. Be in a life group. Who do you need to forgive? Who is it? Where does that forgiveness need to flow? What did they say? You know what? What did they do to you that you need today to forgive them? Could be a parent, could be a child, could be a teacher, could be a step parent. An uncle? I don't know. But I do know that if you don't forgive them, the Bible says that what you will become is a bitter hypocrite. You'll become bitter because that's what happens to unforgiving people. Hypocrite? Because you want God to forgive you, but you won't forgive them. Now, please, I, I do not for a moment make light of this. And that's always a, a, a tragic byproduct of what can happen as we talk about this. I am not making light of what you've gone through or what you have struggled with. I promise you, I am not. I, listen, I don't for a moment think that any of this stuff is easy. I know that there's this emotional struggle that's going on with so many of you. Even in this place right now, so many struggling with this place. Well, you know what? So and so, they did this to me and you're in your own thoughts going, but they never, ever even said they're sorry. They never paid a price. They never held, held accountable. How can I forgive them? And, and you know, I, I spent some time really praying about that question. And I want to explain this to you. And I hope that this, in the simplicity of this, don't, don't lose the importance because it's simple. Church, it takes one to repent. It takes one to forgive. And it takes two to reconcile. What that means is that you can forgive whether or not they ever repent, whether or not they ever apologize, whether or not they ever change or ever acknowledge what they've done or how it's hurt you. You are one and therefore you can forgive. 
again, don't let the simplicity make it, you know, simple doesn't mean easy. Okay, it's just simple. So you can, and you can forgive. But I also want to share what I think some of us get confused in is what forgiving is not. There are things that it's not. One of the things is, is that forgiving is not approving. Hey, it's not approving. It's not, you, know, just, you don't have to, because you forgive somebody, to say that, hey, what you did, it's okay. You know what? I'm, not, I'm approving of this. It's not, not saying I'm okay with what you did or I'm okay with what you failed to do. I'm okay with how you hurt me. I am not saying that. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. It's acknowledging, you know what? What you did was wrong. What you failed to do was wrong. How you hurt me was wrong. And I choose to forgive you. It's not denying. Oh, I, you know what? It didn't happen. I don't even remember what you're talking about. This is something that I just don't even remember that. You know, the whole forgive and forget. We think that because we can't forget, we can't forgive. And, and in this, listen, church, forgiveness is not that place where, well, I've got to wait until I can't remember it anymore. It, it, forgiveness is not denying that something didn't happen. Forgiveness is not diminishing it. Well, don't worry about it. It was no big deal. You know what? Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. It didn't really bother me. Well, really, then why are we here years later still struggling with this issue whenever this question of forgiveness comes up in the church? Why are we continuing to struggle with that? If it's just, ah, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. You know what? I mean, let me just say this to you. Yes, it is a big deal. And it's a big deal because it hurt you. Amen. It's also a big deal because Jesus had to die for what they did to you. Amen. It is a big deal. Forgiveness is not covering sin up. You don't cover up the sin. You, listen, you can, you can forgive somebody and still call the police. If what they're doing is breaking the law or hurting you, are causing you, you, you something that they're doing that's illegal. You can still forgive them even if they are committing a crime and you call the police on them. And they'll whine about, oh, I thought you forgave me. Oh, I did. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm not, I'm not upset. You, but you committed a crime. And I believe in justice. Oh, I love you, and I'm going to forgive you, and Jesus Christ loves you. He died for your sins, and if you'll repent, he'll forgive you too. But just because I forgive you doesn't mean that all the consequences of your actions go away. See, honestly, some of us need to really truly dig in and find out the biblical fullness of forgiveness and then choose to forgive. To understand this, and then to say, you know what, I forgive. And then, leave those people to Jesus. Because ultimately, he will, capital J, judge them. And church, if they don't repent, then it's Jesus that will condemn them. 
And therefore, you can judge them and you can forgive them and you can have full confidence in leaving them to him. And it's something that we continue to do. Maybe they'll repent and if they do, God will forgive them. And if they don't, then it's God who will forgive them. But that's his business and you're not trying to take his job. But for the sake of your heart of bitterness, for the sake of your life of, of hypocrisy, forgive just like the Bible has called us to forgive. As God, as Christ has forgiven you. So church, who do you need to forgive? What did they do? What did they do to you? What did they say? What did they fail to do? Where did they not protect you? And again, church, I am under no illusion that what I'm talking about is easy or even a a simple thing. This is deep and complex in the issues that confronted our hearts. And I know as a pastor, man, one of the blessings and one of the most difficult parts of being a pastor is that I oftentimes get a front row seat of some of the most difficult, tragic times of people's lives. And to walk through that difficult time, it's, it's real. But church, what I'm talking about today is a real biblical principle preached by Jesus as he shares the kingdom of God. And therefore, as a biblical principle, I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit will show you who he's talking to you about. That he will bring a name to your mind. That he will bring a face, an image as to who he's talking about. Oh, and, I, and some of you, man, some of you are just white-knuckling it right now. I thought he had other points. <laughs> Can't you move on? Why are we dwelling on this? Because we need to. Worship team, would you come on back up? We need to. And we're going to take a couple of minutes. And we're going to do just that. In fact, let me just ask you for a moment, everybody in the place, to bow your heads with me for a moment. This is just between you and God. Remember, it takes one to forgive. It doesn't matter what your wife is doing. It doesn't matter what the kids are doing. It doesn't matter what the people around you are doing. This is between you and him. This is between the two of you. You and Jesus. But let's just sit here for a moment. God, if there's anybody in my life that I need to forgive, show me. Bring me that name. Give me that face. Who do I need to forgive, God? I don't want anything or anyone to come between us. Ask him, God help me.
For many, you, you knew the name. You saw the face before we ever talked about bowing your head. I said, God, help me to be biblical. That is a prayer that God will never not answer. Some of you, the struggle is, is that the person that he's reminded me of is dead. They're gone. And the devil wants you to think that it's never going to be okay because of that. But it takes one to forgive. It takes one. And so you still can and you still need to forgive them and trust that God will make everything okay. Because what that person did, what that person said, how that person treated you, what that person did to you is not your identity. Look, your identity is not in what they did to you. Your identity is found in what Christ has done for you. And you are His. all things through Christ who strengthens me. Free me from this anger, Lord. Free me from this weight of bitterness. Free me from this place of hatred in my life. Free me, Lord God, from this unforgiveness that grows like a cancer in me. Help me today, Lord. Let your kingdom come. The kingdom that Jesus was exposing to the world. Let your kingdom come right here, right in this little church, right here on earth, right where I am. Come into my heart, Lord God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. over the issues or whatever it is that's going on in your heart.
Declare this, church. Prophesy this. With my soul. Lord, I receive that today. It is well. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. God bless y'all. Well